Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. On this week's Sunday 7, we look into the accelerating pattern of climate change as Europe faces a nightmare heatwave. We hear from NASA about a new Mars project. We discover a new way to measure teenage well-being. And our tech guru, Will Guyett, talks all things wizards, warlocks and soldiers. But first, on this day in 1969, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins and Neil Armstrong blasted off from Cape Canaveral in the Apollo 11. Their mission was only to land on the flipping moon. Southern Europe's facing an extreme heatwave over the next week, with temperatures in Spain and Italy expected to break new records at up to 45 degrees. The heatwave's so extreme, it's been given a name. Italian meteorologists have christened it Cerberus, inspired by the three-headed dog that guards the gates of hell in Dante's Inferno. Already in Italy, construction workers have died from heat stroke and tourists are passing out in Rome. According to Luca Massali of the Italian Meteorological Service, the Earth has a fever and Italy is feeling it firsthand. Southern Europe's not alone, though. Huge swathes of America are also under extreme temperature warnings as the summer of 2023 looks likely to set new records. It's not just heat, either. There have been flash floods across the globe, in India, in Spain and in the US state of Vermont. Meanwhile, in South Africa, they've had snow for the first time in a decade. New York was also flooded on Monday as 20 centimetres of rain fell in just a few days and Governor Kathy Hochul says it's time to face facts. Climate change is here. We can't turn our eyes any longer to the fact that we have to build up. Homes and businesses that are in low-lying areas are going to be, need to be lifted up. Otherwise, we're ignoring the reality that flooding is part of life now here in the state of New York. It is now part of the new normal for New York. The planet's clearly heating up with new global temperature records recorded this month. The US Special Envoy for Climate Change, John Kerry, was in the UK this week, travelling with President Biden and meeting with King Charles to discuss the crisis. And he says people need to join the dots and start taking action. Finally, maybe people are realising this is real and it's going to get worse unless we move rapidly to be able to accelerate the transition. Emissions from the burning of fossil fuel is creating the climate crisis. And Professor Michael Mann from the University of Pennsylvania is worried that people still don't understand the risks if we don't change our behaviour. We sometimes hear the expression, a new normal. Is this a new normal? But it's worse than that. This is an ever-moving baseline of worsening climate impacts. This only gets worse and worse if we continue to burn fossil fuels and load the atmosphere with carbon pollution. You know we love to talk about tech and social media and gaming and all of that on the Sunday 7, and this week is no exception. You know who's coming. Will, uh, how are you doing? Yeah, really well, thanks. This week's chat's a bit like succession for nerds, isn't it? There's competition merger rules in the boardroom being applied to warlocks, wizards and uh, soldiers. Is that right? Yeah, it's, uh, this is Microsoft trying to buy the game maker 
Activision Blizzard who do World of Warcraft, Call of Duty and other stuff. These deals go through all the time, but this one has really caught the eyes of kind of the competitions commissions because this is the idea that if Microsoft is able to buy the company that makes Call of Duty, is it going to stop everybody else having Call of Duty, which is still one of the world's biggest game franchises every year. To put this into perspective for the non-gamers listening, the gaming industry is worth three times more than the music industry and four times more than the movie industry. It, it's serious business. It generated over $180 billion last year, right? Yeah, and let's look at this. They're wanting to buy Activision Blizzard for $69 billion US dollars. Disney purchased the whole of Star Wars for $4 billion. So it gives you a clear understanding of just how huge the video games market now is. What's happened most recently is the US courts said this could now go ahead. But now the financial regulators in the US are going to appeal that decision. This comes after the UK regulator had already said this stifles competition. But bizarrely, at the same time, Microsoft are quite clearly saying, as a result of this deal, they would do a 10-year partnership with uh, Sony. They'd do the same for Nintendo. In 2023, I don't think Call of Duty existing solely on Xbox would kill off the other platforms. And Microsoft would be bonkers to suddenly say, we're going to cut off these other platforms if this game makes Activision billions of dollars every year. So it's a weird situation this now being decided by courts and judges. It's weird with gaming being such a progressive industry that's so far behind TV. You know, on my Skybox, I can access Apple, Netflix, Prime Video, Disney Plus and all of that. Everyone's going to have to make friends at some point, aren't they? The opposite side of that is Super Mario, apart from a few ropey um, these smartphone games, has never appeared on a non-Nintendo platform. There's a few exceptions for the, the nerds back in the early 90s. But the reality is, you know, is that is that anti-competitive from Nintendo? Is a judge eventually going to force Nintendo to put Mario and his, you know, his activities on, on Xbox or PlayStation? So Microsoft certainly say in their, in their claims to this, they don't believe they're going to sell a boatload more Xboxes on the back of exclusive having Call of Duty. Well, if they come for my Sega Mega Drive and Sonic, they'll be hell to pay, Will. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you. Still to come on the Sunday 7, Ireland's got a whale problem and Iceland's volcanoes are at it again. Blummin' heck. If there's one pair of words that rarely go together, it's surely happy and teenager. The process of development and the wave of hormones it unleashed can lead to lots of pressure on a teen trying to figure out where they fit in in the world and coping with the stress of social media and belonging, which often results in a certain level of misery. But a new study from the University of Cambridge says we're focused on the wrong thing. It's not about happiness, it's about life satisfaction and eudaimonia. That's looking at overall competence, motivation and self-esteem. On the line now, we've got psychologist at the University of Cambridge, Dr. Tanya Clark. Tanya, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you doing? It's really good to be on the show. As a parent, this study really resonated with me and I found it fascinating. Can you describe it for the listeners? In a nutshell, we tend to measure our child's success on academic achievements, but you're saying something different, right? I think what we see uh, definitely in the UK education system is an over-focus on kind of academic achievement as a, a measure of external success. Uh, And in the research that I've conducted at at Cambridge, we can see that that children very much internalise that system of self-worth and comparison, and that that breeds, it can breed, feelings of inferiority, 
um, and, and lead to some really quite um, quite damaging outcomes. What part do you think lockdown played in all this? Certainly in our household, it crystallised that success and happiness can come from somewhere completely different. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. I mean, I think it's interesting in two ways, isn't it? First of all, I think, you know, the COVID pandemic, it really highlighted what is most dear to us. But of course, what was really interesting was children lost a lot more than just their learning during the pandemic. They lost a sense of community with their peers. They they lost the relationships with their teachers. COVID highlighted, uh, you know, this interplay between achievement and well-being in those two ways. And it's got a great name, hasn't it? Am I pronouncing it right? Eudaimonia? Yeah, that's right. So what is eudaimonia? Basically, the, the Greek, it roughly translates translates as eude, which is, which is good, and daemon, which means spirit, so good spirit. It was really defined as self-actualization. In other words, how successful does an individual feel? Um, What is it that that helps them to feel uh, valued, competent, confident? So if you look at a tree, you can see on the surface, it might look content, it might look happy, but deep underneath the tree, you've got the roots and the nutrients, the things that are helping it feel good, the things that young people engage in on a day-to-day basis that that make them feel good, successful, confident, and self-actualized. It's that infrastructure uh, and the the, the system of, of meaning that we kind of in view upon adolescents that really are messaging and sending them certain signals about their worth um, and, you know, how successful they are. What tips would you give parents and caregivers uh, to ensure that their teenagers and adolescents are living their best life then? Really, I think what eudaimonia uh, teaches us is that, that every young person deserves to feel a sense of competence and accomplishment. And I think the way that parents and grandparents and, and family systems can can cultivate that in young people is to really get to know them. So allowing children the space to really define what's important to them. And other things I would say, you know, being very, very aware of how we're praising young people is also key. Um, Are we comparing them to others inherently? Or can we actually kind of temper the way that we uh, praise young people in a way that um, it's praising their effort rather than some outcome at the end of a test. Dr. Clark, that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. I hope I hope it was helpful. <laughs> Way back in 2010, the world's airlines ground to a halt with 100,000 flights grounded. The reason? An Icelandic volcanic eruption called Hayafjallajökull. Goodness gracious me, apologies to any Icelandic people listening. The ash it threw into the atmosphere caused huge concern about the damage it could do to jet engines, so in the interest of safety, air travel closed down across Europe for about 10 days. And the exciting news is, well, it might be about to happen again. This time, it's the much easier to pronounce Fagrad al Spiach volcano, which began erupting violently again on Monday. Icelandic authorities have warned tourists to stay clear of the area and cautioned this eruption's been more explosive than previous events in 2020 and 21. Dr. Matthew Roberts of the Icelandic Meteorological Office says we've entered a new phase of seismic activity. The peninsula uh, hasn't been active in, in many, many centuries, uh, volcanically active. Now we're in this new period where it seems that magma from great depths is reaching the Earth's surface uh, with with, uh, remarkable uh, frequency. Uh, These events have been preluded by seismic activity, swarms of earthquakes, many of which have been felt. 
and this is now uh, a, a, a repeating cycle of activity. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we discover pine needle paracetamol and NASA's virtual Mars mission right after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back. We've already discovered that climate change is an increasing headache for the planet, but before you reach for the paracetamol, I've got some more bad news for you. It turns out many common pharmaceuticals are manufactured in a process that depends on crude oil, so your headache medicine isn't sustainable and isn't even planet-friendly. But we've got some good news for you. A team at the University of Bath have come up with a clever solution which will enable both paracetamol and its stronger cousin ibuprofen to be made using pine trees. And hopefully on the other end of the line now, we've got research associates at the University of Bath, Dr. Josh Tibbetts. Josh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, you too. Fascinating story. Can you give us a bit more bit more idea about, about what it means? You know, so you found a, a way of... Well, pine trees can cure headaches, it seems. That's what we're hoping. I guess it's not controversial to say that our energy and fuel needs um, in future will be met by renewables such as solar and wind. Um, But the chemical industry, and in particular the pharmaceutical industry, are still going to require a source of carbon um, in order to make the products that we use every day. And so there's been lots of focus on biofuels and biopolymers, but what we wanted to target was a bio version of paracetamol um, and ibuprofen. Um, And so we we looked at the bio-renewable carbon sources available to us um, and terpenes, which are made from the paper making process, can actually be used um, and we've used scalable and sustainable chemistry to turn them into um, paracetamol and ibuprofen. So was this a was this a concerted effort to find painkillers within this or was it a happy accident? How how did it how did it come about? Because it seems like kind of like pretty random. Yeah, so um, we were interested in in using terpenes uh, and seeing if we could um, uh, kind of create a biorefinery um, is, is what we're calling it, whereby we take this um, waste stream from the paper industry, which is in it inherently biorenewable, um, and target a variety of products. And so one of those that we really wanted to target was drug molecules. And rather than going for um, drugs which are produced in very low volume for very um, kind of niche applications, we thought we would try and target the highest volume drugs available on the market. And obviously everybody knows what um, paracetamol and ibuprofen are. Um, and it was um, fortunate for us that the, the volumes of turpentine available to us every year, as well as the volumes of um, these painkillers that are produced, are very well matched. It's difficult to see why people wouldn't want to use, wouldn't want to take these drugs as opposed to ones made by crude oil. How far off are we, do you think, from it being being widely available? We've proven it on a lab scale. In terms of turning it into an industrial process, that requires a whole other set of skills, um, significant investments. Um, and really, I think there will be, um, does the pharmaceutical industry um, and indeed the government have the drive um, to, to implement 
chemistry such as ours and many other groups around the world. Given our current record at achieving net zero, you'd think they'd do everything they can possible, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's certainly what we're hoping. And in targeting these high-volume pharmaceuticals, we really hope that this can be um, kind of an example um, of the fact that you can turn biorenewables into um, drug compounds, which previously has been uh, greatly underappreciated. I mean, great brand name for you already. Pine, not pain. How's that? You can have that for free. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. We've definitely uh, been riffing on a few, but um, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I like that. The billionaire space race seems to have faded slightly as the planet's billionaires instead prepare for a cage fight. And yep, I've seen those Zuck training photos. No, don't Google them. I think we've Googled enough photos this week, haven't we? But even as billionaires lose focus, NASA continues preparations for its long-awaited mission to Mars. The Artemis moon landing program is intended to reactivate the skill sets needed for manned flights and landings on other planets, with the next step being another round of moon landings. But the big goal is a manned mission to Mars, and they've stepped up preparations with a team of researchers who voluntarily entered a sealed habitat in Texas which replicates life on the red planet. They're due to spend a full year locked away and NASA have done their best to make things as realistic as possible. So for example, if you text one of the Mars residents, it'll take 22 minutes before they receive it. NASA's Dr. Suzanne Bell is the lead for NASA's Behavioral Health and Performance Lab and she says this is essential research to understand what humans will need on the trip. We will learn from it, uh, for sure, and I, I might change my answer after the mission. But I think what's really important here is to understand how to help humans survive and thrive in this extreme resource-restricted environment. And so what we're really doing is informing future risk and resource trades. Payloads and what we can send somewhere, such as Mars, will always be limited, so we have to prioritize. Do you send more variety in food? How do we have communication back to not only mission control, but family and friends? And really what I hope to learn and what our team hopes to learn is, is how do we best inform those and make those traits that can survive and thrive on Mars? One of Ireland's most famous attractions was the Dingle Dolphin, known as Fungi. He used to appear regularly beside tourist boats and even pose for photographs. Sadly, Fungi disappeared mid-2020 and hasn't been seen since. But Kerry, on Ireland's south coast, is now struggling with a different kind of water mammal problem after the body of a fin whale washed up on its shores. The fin whale's the second largest species of whale and the body on the beach measures 19 metres long, which suggests it wasn't even fully grown. The biggest issue for the Irish authorities is how to dispose of a carcass that size. Paddy Fenton's the county vet for Kerry County Council and he says it's probably best to let nature take its course. It's very difficult to get a machine in here and even if we do get a machine in here, it would be very difficult to bury him. The whale is full of gas at the moment. We're very apprehensive about moving it or, or punching it because there are plenty of records of, of whales exploding. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.